Well, good morning, everybody. And um, I would just like to say, go Loyola! Come on now. How about it, Chicago? Our special guest speaker today is actually Sister Jean. And so, everybody, if you would welcome her to the... No, I'm just Okay. But this is great. How about it, man? Living in Chicago and going to the Final Four. How many people expected this? Besides the Loyola students. Okay. Anybody expect this? All right. This is just exciting. Okay. So it's fun. First the Cubs, then Loyola. What's next? The Bears. Yes. Yes. Okay. Come on, everybody. We believe in miracles. All right. So here we go. So it's a good time um, to be a Chicagoan. It's uh, good to be here with you today. And I hope you've been able to uh, enjoy uh, March Madness with some friends. Um, But even more than uh, March Madness, this is our uh, Lenten season. And we are right now in the middle of Palm Sunday. This is Palm Sunday, where we are celebrating Jesus going to that cross, Jesus entering into Jerusalem, Jesus being glorified, Jesus saving us from our sins, Jesus being exalted to the right hand of the Father, Jesus coming to save the world from sin and death, Jesus coming to heal and restore broken families and lives. And so that is what we are here to celebrate, right? And if we can cheer for the final four game, we better be able to cheer for Jesus Christ, right? Come on now, so give it up for Jesus. You just said that. It's almost like a, it's almost, yeah, it's almost like a, It's almost like a little muscle you need to flex, right? It's sort of like if you're not used to doing something. I mean, if you've ever gone to a basketball game before or a sporting event, at first you see the crowd around you and you might feel a little uncomfortable, right? Anybody ever been at um, like a game before and then the person next to you was a little bit more zealous than you were, (laughs) okay? And they were like beating their chest, you know, ripping off their shirt, you know, all these different things. And it's sort of like you're like, you're uncomfortable, but by the fourth quarter, you know what I mean? You were all in it yourself. You know what I mean? You were on camera talking about, I love you mom and all these different things well how much more so should we be excited for the king of kings and the lord of lords and give him our very best in our adoration our praise our adulation everything that we do should be emoting to him for the worth of who he is and what he's done for us and so what we're doing um as we go into this uh uh, palm sunday is we are actually celebrating along with what the disciples have done but we're going through um a series called after the storm and last week if you were with us, we started off talking about the fact that in every one of our lives, it's not if, but when a storm comes, we are going to have to face it in Christ with both a confidence and a comfort that comes from him alone. A confidence and a comfort that comes from him alone. And we talked last week about the fact that he says, if you are going to have both that confidence and comfort, you have got to, before the storm comes, before the trials come, learn to build your life in the word of God. Learn to actually go to his word for comfort and actually surround yourself with the people of God who should be filled with the word of God for comfort in the time of the storm. Because on the other side of the storm, there's the purpose of God. And so today we're going to actually continue this message by talking about after the storm part two, but we're going to talk today about the trial or rather the test and the triumph. Okay. The test and the triumph. The test and the triumph that the storm brings, it's a testing of our faith 
faith whenever different storms come. We're going to look at Jesus Christ himself and how he himself was tested on the way to the cross. And another man named Elijah, who was an Old Testament prophet, who in the middle of serving God faithfully and wholeheartedly, was tested in his faith with his own storm and had to come to God to receive the triumph that he had promised him as a prophet of the Lord. And so let's begin to pray and then we'll break into it today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that on this Palm Sunday that we can, like those who welcomed you into Jerusalem on the side of the road, wave our hands in the air. We don't have branches today, but we can wave our hands in the air. We can wave our hands and say, Hosanna, 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 Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And God, we thank you that you've come victoriously. We thank you that you've come humbly. God, we thank you that you've come sovereignly, not only in good times, but also in trying times to be the God who reigns over all of life, all the earth, all our circumstances. And one day you'll redeem all who not only are waiting for you, but also the earth itself. And so God, we're asking you that you would help us to grow in great faith in your word today and be still knowing that you are God, that you are going to be exalted in the heavens. You're going to be exalted in the earth. Help us live that way today in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so we're going to start today with the, <clears throat> the trial or the test. And if you are um, somebody who gets uh, posts or comments from uh, di- like different devotionals or websites, they may come up on your Twitter feed or uh, they may come up on your Instagram pages. How many of you are subscribers to things like that? Well, a good one um, that you can uh, feed your soul with, I don't recommend chicken soup for the soul. I recommend things that are actually biblically based and bound, okay? And so what we're going to do is there's actually a good one um, by Oswald Chambers. And if you've ever heard of him, he's um, the man who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, okay? Um, Another good one, um, they have feeds coming from C.S. Lewis and a lot of good C.S. Lewis quotes. You can sign up for um, things like that. And it's just encouragement going into your day. But this past week, the one from Oswald Chambers in My Utmost for His Highest set up perfectly what we're talking about today. He said, a life of faith is not a life of one glorious mountaintop experience after another, like soaring on eagle's wings, but is a life of day in and day out consistency. A life of walking without fainting. He says, see Isaiah 40, 31. It is not even a question of the holiness of sanctification, but of something which which comes much farther down the road. It is a faith that has been tried and proved and has withstood the test. It has been tried and has been proved and has withstood the test. And if any one of you have been walking with God for any period of time, or you have just started your walk with God, you need to know that eventually the high that you're feeling in the moment will dissipate. Now that might not actually feel like, like you not, might not want to hear that, and you might not want to embrace that as a reality or as a truth, but the feelings that you have whenever you're relating to God, they ebb and they flow. How many people know that to be a reality now? 
And how many people know that in the midst of the ebbing and the flowing, God remains who he is. He remains the same. He's constant. He's good. He's kind. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit are in the the nature of who he is. And though the ebb and flow comes in our emotional state, it does not change who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is. And what Oswald Chambers is saying here is that ultimately in all of our lives, the reality is this. That eventually you will face a test, you will face a trial, you will face something in your life that actually brings you to a place of what am I going to do in the midst of this trial to either continue to depend on the Lord and walk with him and stay steadfast for him and glorify him in the midst of my trial? Or am I going to back away as if he wasn't who he said he was? as if he wasn't good, as if he wasn't kind, as if he wasn't the savior that I knew him to be during my good times, during my related times, during my times of triumph. And what we see is when Jesus was entering Jerusalem, Jesus had a whole lot of fanfare leading up to that time, right? Jesus had performed signs, wonders, and miracles. Jesus opened blind eyes. Jesus opened deaf ears. Jesus raised people literally from the dead and gave them back to their widowed mothers. And what we see is that Jesus was enjoying a whole lot of adulation for the good things that he had done. But he knew that he was there on planet earth to actually fulfill a mission. And that mission had to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he was speaking over and over again about the death, the betrayal, the sacrifice of his own life that he was going to have to make for the sins of the world to actually save humanity from their sins. And when we see the um, Passover approaching, which Passover begins this Friday, if you're looking to celebrate with some friends or even reach out to some Jewish friends, it starts this Friday. We see him going into Jerusalem, receiving praise. But in Matthew chapter 21, that's where we're going to start today. He's actually giving people a parable. He's giving people a parable after entering Jerusalem with adulation and praise and saying, listen, I've got to get you ready for life as it comes at you. I've got to get you ready so that when your faith is tested by fire, when it's tested by trial, when it's tested by all types of circumstances that could have you or tempt you to doubt God, I want you to know that I'm here, I'm with you, and you can stand firm. Even as I go into my trial and my father is remaining the same, he's firm, he's steadfast, and he'll bring me through my trial, ultimately into my triumph. So Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 33, he says this. He says, hear another parable talking to the people. He said, there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And his tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. This was obviously talking about the message of repentance and faith. Whenever the, God sent the prophets to his people Israel or to the world and told them, God is righteous, God is holy, God wants relationship with you, but you need to turn in repentance and faith to his everlasting word so that you might be reconciled to him. And people didn't always like hearing that. So they mistreated those who came in God's name. They treat, mistreated and beat and stoned and whipped the prophets who are coming preaching about God's righteousness. 
Again, he said he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Every time we stand here and preach, we talk about Jesus being that cornerstone. We talk about Jesus being the stone that people are rejecting in their lives, but he's in fact the cornerstone to all of life. And we're making an appeal, do not reject him because he's coming. There is a day of judgment coming. We're all going to die once and then face him. And he says, I want to face you as a friend, not a foe. So come today and repent and believe the good news. Come today and and receive him as the cornerstone of your life. If you've not done that yet, today is your day. Palm Sunday 2018 can be your day, and it would be a good day indeed. So we see that Jesus is saying it's marvelous in our eyes when God's bringing his son. But then he says in verse 43, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will not only be taken away from those and be given to those who will produce its fruits, but verse 44, the one who falls on this stone, and here's the reality that he's bringing to life. He says, there's a gospel message, and you need to respond to it. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have got to decide. There is no, in essence, demilitarized zone. There is no just saying, I'm sort of indifferent to the gospel. Either you're choosing to receive Jesus, or you are actively choosing to reject him by your passivity. And he's saying, you must choose him. You must bow to him. You must resign your will and your mind to him and follow him as he is. Why? Because, because the one who falls on this stone, meaning Jesus, the Christ, the cornerstone of all of life, will be, not might be, but will be broken to pieces. When you come to him, there is no coming in pride. There is no coming saying, I'm going to be in control of my life with it from this point forward, and God just gets to be an add-on. It's God and Jesus, his son, as Lord of all. And we say all the time, it's not just the places or the things that you want to turn over to him. The scripture very clearly communicates this fact that he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all of your life or he's not Lord of any of it. You're either married or you're not. Amen, people? You're either married or you're not. It's not like, listen, I'm going to give you the best 300 days of every year, baby. But the last 65, you got to understand, I'm a man and I need time to experience the world around me. But you know what? The last 300, I'll come back to you full of humility, full of contrition, full of need for forgiveness. And I know because you're so good that you'll receive me again. How many people know that wouldn't work in my household? 
Okay, that's okay, everybody. <laughs> okay, that wouldn't work in my household, nor should it ever work in yours, right? You're either married or you're not. You're either a 365-day-a-year spouse or you're not. That's the faithfulness God's looking for. But he says, listen, anyone who falls on this rock, Christ, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Meaning that there are two options. He said, either we're going to fall in obedience to Christ and be broken to pieces, or in rebellion to him, trying to maintain our own rights the way we want to live, he's going to fall on us in judgment and crush us. There are only two options. And he says, choose life. Over and over again, he's saying, choose life. But in the midst of choosing life, we would like to think that what life means is it's life without challenges, life without trials. But what he's clearly saying is, I'm going to give you life as I break you to pieces. When you fall on me, I'm going to shatter you to pieces. And you know what? That's in fact good news when we think about it. Because the way that we've been building our lives up to this point, when we've been making our own decisions or been the master of our own ships, oftentimes leads to harbors that we don't want to be in. Anybody, can anybody say amen to that? Okay, well, some of you need to keep sailing and see where you go. Listen, the thing is, it's like it leads to sin and death when we're doing it on our own, Right? It leads to destructive relationships. I'm not just talking about friendships. I'm talking about romantic relationships, right? If you try to do marriage on your own, doing it your own way, all you're trying to do is preserve your own rights in the midst of living in a household where somebody else is constantly infringing upon who you are and your identity and who you think you should be. Come on, married people. You know what I'm talking about, right? All of a sudden you have these conversations. I don't feel like I'm me anymore. I'm losing my myself. Before I was married, I felt like I had all of this freedom and all of this. And then all of a sudden you're married and it's like, wait a minute, somebody else gets to infringe upon my rights and help define me. And you don't like it. But when you do it your own way, it leads to death, does it not? It leads to frustration, arguments, angst, anger against the one who you love and should love you, right? But when you do it God's way, God's like, listen, honor one another above yourselves. And you're like, what? Jesus said, what? You know? And, it, and it's like, wait a minute. To actually make this work, I'm going to have to break. To, to make this work, my, my will's going to have to break. My, my sense of pride is going to have to break. To make this work, my, my sense of identity is going to have to be shattered. <laughs> and in a good way, it's going to enable me to break so that I can not stay broken, but be rebuilt in him. So I could be rebuilt in his image. So I could be rebuilt like Christ and actually begin to look like him, right? That, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's not he says, I'm going to break you and leave you broken so that you're incapacitated. I'm going to break you and I'm going to build you in the things that I've actually called you to be and do, which actually give life, which actually bring you into the things that I've called you to do 
in the first place. But to get there, you've got to break. To get there, you've got to actually be willing to face some what feels like pain. What feels like pain in the moment. If you've ever uh, been an equestrian, you know, or if you like horses, that's fine. You know, that's <laughs> fine too. You know that many stallions, stallions, before they can actually go out and be ridden, right? The first thing about them is that they need to be what? Anybody know? Broken. They need to be broken before they can actually be useful to the one that's actually that owns them. They need to be broken. And that means that they have to have what, what we would metaphorically say is a horse's will broken in such a way so that it can actually be controlled by the one that's going to ride it. And in essence, when God is coming into our life, he's coming into our life to not only save us, but to also make us useful to himself. To make us useful to himself. This is what the parable is talking about, right? He says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, religious leaders who should have been communicating this truth of the kingdom and the gospel in a clear manner. I'm going to take it away from you and give it to those who are actually going to produce its fruit because I'm looking for you to be useful to me. Not only when I save you, I want you to actually be that which reflects me, but to do so, I've got to break you. I've got to break you. And either you... Either way in life, when we think about walking with God, whether we choose to receive him as Lord or we reject him, we will be broken so that he can reshape us in his image. But how you respond literally determines your destiny. How you respond in the time of breaking. And the breaking is not just, uh, it's not just uh, the 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 word of God challenging us when we read it. It's also the circumstances of life that bring out what we really believe, what we really think, what we're really going to do with our time, our realities, and our life, right? How we respond determines our destiny. Now, we know that because even in the Old Testament, we saw that there was a man named Elijah who was a prophet of the Lord. He was a prophet of the Lord who actually stood, if you remember the showdown in 1 Kings 18 on Mount Carmel in the time of apostasy, in the time of like paganism in the midst of Israel, and it was running rampant. He stood on Mount Carmel and had a showdown, and he said, like, listen, God, show yourself strong. Show yourself that you're the only God of heaven and earth. And he came, and he lit a fire, and the, he killed the false prophets of Baal and all that good stuff. But then there was a, a woman who was actually um, in charge at the time who was married to the king, and the the king's name was Ahab and the wife or the queen's name was uh, Jezebel. And they didn't actually like how uh, Elisha was coming to disrupt their free-for-all in Israel at the time. And so Jezebel, in response to the lordship that Elisha was preaching in the time of Israel's apostasy, in response to it, she said, I don't like what you're telling me. I don't like what you're bringing to Israel. I don't like how you're infringing upon our rights, our ability to decide what we want to do, when we want to do it, and all of that good stuff. And so Elijah, though you're speaking as a prophet of the Lord, I'm coming to kill you. I'm going to kill you. And right after Elijah had this amazing showdown, amazing showdown with the prophets of Baal, he had to, again, be on the run for his life. Trial. You would have thought, if I just obey God, then that's it. 
God's going to take care of me. There's no trial after that. Anybody ever feel that way? Sort of like getting contractual with God? You know what I'm talking about, right? God, if I obey you here, then that means for the next three years, peace, safety, and happiness, (laughs) right? And you're like, shake on it. And he's like, Let's go back to the word, okay? And so all of a sudden you see very specifically Elijah on the run and he's having to make a decision. He's saying, I obeyed you, God. Why am I facing trial? I obeyed you. What am I supposed to do with this now? People are trying to kill me in the midst of me obeying you and really realizing um, your word going forth. And so go, turn with me, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. He had to decide how he was going to respond. But in looking at Elijah's encounter with God, we can receive encouragement that not only is there a test, but there are clues to the triumph that he wants to bring us into. There are clues to the triumph that he wants to bring us into. So Elijah, after preaching faithfully the word of God, saying, God, you're not only Lord of my life, but I'm I'm preaching and Israel's turning once again to repentance and faith, putting their trust in you, uh, choosing to obey your good word. But now I'm on the run for my life. And it said, there he came, verse 9, to a cave. And that's often what we initially do when we're facing any type of trial, right? We, we run to a cave, metaphorically speaking. We run to a place where we want to isolate ourselves, where we, we want to dim the lights, put on a Snuggie, you know, order insomnia cookies. They do deliver, you know, and actually just start rocking back and forth. Anybody ever been there before? Wanting to go into a cave. It's like, this is tough. I want to, I want to be alone. Anybody tries to reach out to you, they're, you're like, let me out. <laughs> right? Anyway, but the point is, Elijah was feeling this way. He lodged there, meaning he wasn't just visiting. He was there for a little bit. <laughs> Anybody ever have a friend who went MIA during a difficult time? And you're like, yo, where's, where's Johnny? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Has anybody heard from him? No, I just know he's been going through something difficult. Was well, he answering your text? No, no. He's in a cave. And the good news is that God comes to find us in our caves. That's the good news. He comes looking for you. You might want to hide, but God once again comes looking for you. He comes looking for me. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him in that cave, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Anybody ever have God asked them that before? What are you doing here? Why are you allowing yourself to wallow in this? Why have you thrown off your confidence in me in this area of your life? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said to him, listen, I'm just going to be real with you. God, let's have a heart-to-heart. Anybody ever have a heart-to-heart with God? I'm just going to be honest with you. I have been very jealous for the Lord. And then all of a sudden you go into your meritocracy, right? I've been very zealous, jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, right? (laughs) That's how we get in the cave too. I'm the only one! 
I'm the only one who's ever tried to serve God this way. I'm the only one in my family who's tried to be as holy as I am. I'm the only one who understands. And still, God, you fail me with this trial. I'm the only one. I'm left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out. That's the first thing he'll tell you. Silence. Zip it. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Can you imagine this? He's like, I'm running for my life. I already have trouble. God tells me to go out. And then all of a sudden, the first thing I experience is more trouble. I'm trying to obey God. And then the first thing I'm faced with is an earthquake. How many people get scared in an earthquake? Has anyone been in an earthquake? Yeah, it's scary. It's like, I'm going to die. You know, you're, you're, the pitch of your voice goes up a few octaves. Okay? I'm going to die. Help me. You know, the, but then a fire and then a violent wind, right? And it's like, God, where are you in the midst of this? I'm trying to find you in the midst of my trial. Where are you? He said, I'm with you, but I'm not speaking to you in the midst of any of those things. Why? Because we make a whole lot of irrational decisions in the midst of the things that shake us. Is that not true? When you're in the middle of a trial, all of a sudden reason goes out the door. All the things that you used to stand on go out the door and you're prone to say, I'm done with whatever I feel like or think is causing this trial in my life. If it's my spouse, I'm done with my spouse because they're the cause of this trial. If it's my career or my job, I'm done with this job because it's brought me nothing but unhappiness. Ever since I signed that dotted line. If it's having kids, doggone it, I can't get rid of them. But listen, I know that I know that there are so many things that I could try to point the finger to and say, I'm done because these are the reasons that I'm unhappy. These are the reasons that I'm in fear. These are the reasons that I can't go on like in the joy of God. And you want to make irrational decisions. And this is what God's saying. He's like, listen, you might experience wind and violent storms. You might experience an earthquake, that which shakes you. You might experience that which is fiery, wanting to burn your life and all that you hold dear down. But he says, be still. Be still. I'm not in those. I'm not in those. Don't you make any rash decisions. Don't you make any rash decisions. said, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, once again, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I told you, 
I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. He says, go, and go back to the very thing that you thought were, was challenging you, that was causing trial, that was causing difficulty. He said, go back the way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you to do something. I'm going to give you purpose for your pain. I'm going to give you actually instruction of what I've actually been utilizing this trial or this test for. It's actually to produce something in you and actually to give you purpose on the other side of the storm that's going to impact the entire nation. And what I'm telling you to do is I'm telling you that as you meet with me and you allow me to speak to you in the midst of your trial, I'm going to send you back with my purpose and there advance my kingdom purposes through the lessons that you've learned in your trial. Through the lessons that you've learned in your trials, what we were talking about last week, the comfort that you've received from him, you're able to comfort others with, right? Whenever you've gone through your trial and he, you meet with God on that mountain, sometimes coming out of the cave, you're able in the strength and the grace and the anointing of God to go back and actually help those who are still living in the valley. And he says very specifically, I have specific instruction for you. Go return to the way of the, um, the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, who was his successor, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. This is interesting. He says, Elisha, you wanted to just die, but you know what I'm going to have you do? I'm going to have you raise up somebody who's going to actually not only be comforted by the same comfort that I provided you with, but they're going to get a double portion. That the thing that was on you, I'm going to pass on and give a double portion to the one who's actually instructed by you. Why? Because you have something to share. You have some wisdom. You have some grace. You have some anointing where you can walk them through the very thing I've walked you through. And this um, um, Elisha who comes behind you is going to do twice as many miracles as you did. He's going to actually be able to receive from God in a way that you did, and he's going to be able to do twice as much. Why? Because he has someone who he said, wait a minute, God has been faithful. God has been faithful to this man. He's going to be faithful to me. And the first thing that Elisha, his successor, said whenever he went out, after Elijah was finally taken up by God, and he went and said the, fire, the, um, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, and Elijah was taken away by the Lord, the first thing that Elijah did is he went to the river and he struck it with the cloak, meaning the anointing that he had received from God, actually after getting instruction from Elijah, his predecessor, and he struck the river. And he said, where now, where now is the God of Elijah? Struck him, boom, and the river parted. And a miracle occurred. Double portion, starting his double portion ministry, because even after the trial that Elijah had experienced, he met with God and then went from God with instruction on how God was going to use his pain to bring up the next generation of those who would know him and love him 
And with that comfort, with that faith, he was able to go out and do twice as many miracles, twice the kingdom advancement as Elijah had before him. Because there was purpose in the pain that Elijah was experiencing. Does that make sense? He's saying literally, as you go through, God's going to give you purpose and he's going to anoint you to actually anoint others by his Holy Spirit that they might do great exploits for him as they come to know him even as you have. That's what Jesus experienced when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had to respond in the right way when he was going into his trial just like Elijah did. What did Elijah respond with? He responded with persistent prayer. So Jesus responded with persistent prayer in Gethsemane. We need to remember that God's with you in the storm, but you don't need to make rash decisions. It's hard to hear God in the storm. It's hard to hear him in the fire when it feels like things are burning down around you. You need to wait for God in the whisper. It is there that he reveals his purpose for you in the storm. Timothy Keller actually said this in Counterfeit Gods, in the midst of him burning things down or shaking things that need to be shaken, he said this, if we look to some created thing to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. That means if it's a romantic relationship, if it's a career, if it's anything that you put in the place of God, why does he come with the wind? Why does he come with the earthquake? Why does he come with the fire to remove anything that you're going to substitute for him? He also goes on to say, um, Timothy Keller, an idolatrous attachment can lead you to break any promise, rationalize any indiscretion, or betray any other allegiance in order to hold on to the thing that you hold dear. It may drive you to violate all good and proper boundaries. To practice idolatry is literally to be a slave. And he brings the earthquake, he brings the wind, he brings the fire to eradicate those things that would make you a slave. And finally, he said this, he said, when anything in life is an absolute requirement for your happiness and self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping other than God. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service, in its chains, Therefore, if you find that despite all the efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside, you may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What am I angry about? What is, it so, what is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is identified and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. But what God does is he brings all of these shakings, all of these trials to not only identify them, bring them to the surface, but deal with them, burn them up so you can actually be free. That's the gospel. He says, I'm going to bring them up, identify them so you can actually deal with them and be free. And if you come to me like Elisha did, I'll whisper to you. And I'll begin speaking to you by my word and set you free in your inmost being from the things that actually you idolized and held you bound. You'll actually find yourself grounded in me. And then from that place of freedom, you'll actually be able to go out and not only live in the joy of the Lord, but also bless the world. And it's what Jesus knew as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Last scripture, and then we're done. He says, then Jesus, verse chapter, uh, Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane.
We know next week is Resurrection Sunday, next week is Easter, but what happened before he was in the garden? And he had to respond like Elijah in the midst of his trial, getting ready to pray. He had to get down. And he said to his disciples, sit here where, while I go over there and pray. Jesus knew that my only arm, my only mechanism for getting through this trial is to have ongoing relationship with my heavenly father. Ongoing relationship with my heavenly father. I'm not going to get angry, point fingers at him and run from him. I'm going to run to him in the midst of my trial. And that's a skill, that is a muscle that we need to learn to develop. That in the midst of your trial, you don't run from God, you run to him. He said, I am the God who is an ever-present help, not just in good times, but he says, Psalm 46, I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. In times of trouble. He says, friends were born, he says, um, 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 fr- um, I'm sorry, a brother was born for adversity. Do you know that in Christ... When you belong to Jesus, Jesus, in effect, becomes your brother. Yes, he's your Lord, but we have a heavenly father, and Jesus is your brother who comes to stick closer to you than anyone that you know in the midst of adversity, not despite it. And Jesus said, listen, sit here while I go over and pray. I need to talk to my father. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It is okay. When you have trial, to be sorrowful and troubled. Everybody, can, can you give yourself that permission? Give yourself that permission. It is okay to be sorrowful and troubled in trial. Jesus was. Whatever Jesus did, you can have permission to do. Isn't that good news? If Jesus wept, my, my kids look at me sometimes when I'm crying, they're like, Dad, you contort your face all weird and everything. I know. <laughs> you know. But it's like, if Jesus wept, I can weep. And still be a man. All right? And so listen, the thing about it is, in this point, in this point, he says this. He began to be sorrowful and trouble. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful. What did he do? He was relating to those around him who had walked with him. He didn't go into a cave to isolate himself. But he's like, guys, I'm about to die and this is hard. Help me. Pray with me. I don't want to do this alone. So next time, I'm charging every one of you, when you are going through something, you reach out. You reach out. And you say to your brother or sister, pray with me. Why? Because I'm troubled. I'm sorrowful. And I feel like I'm going to my death, which he literally was. And I need you in this hour. But it does not substitute your reaching out to your brother or sister does not substitute your relating to God. You hear that? Because we often do one or the other. We're either all up in God's face talking about God. You're the only one who understands. And your brothers and sisters are like, well, yo, where's he at? Or... You're only talking to your brothers and sisters and don't spend any time crying out to the one who can actually deliver you. God says you must do both. You call out to your brothers and sisters and you cry out to God. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, My father, if it, is po- if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. That's okay. Listen, if you've ever asked somebody to pray before, then you went back to them and tried to give them an update and they forgot what you were even talking about. That's okay. Happened to Jesus. They were sleeping. 
in his hour of need. Have some grace. And ask him to pray again. Why? Because Jesus did. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me an hour? Listen, dude. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, right? People will say up front, oh, I'm with you. I'll pray, brother. I'll pray. Just send me a text, <laughs> right? Remind, isn't that true? And then when it comes down to it, you're like, God, did anybody pray? And you're like, Jesus did. He interceded. <laughs> right? That's okay. Listen, ask him again. Ask him again. Could you not pray with me one hour? The spirit is willing. White people are willing, but the flesh is weak. Give them another chance. Stop writing people off because you're disappointed by them and disappointed by their weakness. You've got it too. I've got it too. Stop writing people off because of what you perceive to be their weakness as if they can't help you. God's saying, hey, listen, do it my way and they actually will be a help. Even if you have to remind them of the same thing again and again and again. Isn't that true in marriage? Having to say the same thing again and again. Oh, maybe that's too personal. Right, we'll talk about child rearing. Isn't it like, isn't it true in child rearing? You say the same thing again and again and again, as if they'd never heard it before. And they're like, what? I'm supposed to keep my room clean? We don't live in a pigsty? What? <laughs> you know? It's the truth. So show some grace if you're going to grow in the grace of God. He said, can you not stay with me for an hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, Jesus, he said he went and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping. All right. <laughs> for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again. Why is this important? Because you need to pray until you get the resolve that you need from God to do what he said to do. If you are going back and forth and vacillating in your conviction, you need to go back to the place of prayer because God's not changing his mind. It's you who need to firm up your conviction. It's you who need to firm up your conviction that God's ways are right and that he'll strengthen you to fulfill what he's given you through the trial, the purpose to do. And Jesus went through it again and again, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples after that third time saying, all right, you know what? I know God's not going to change his mind. I'm going to that cross. I'm with it. Bad about it. Let's go. God strengthened him in his inmost being. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. I'm ready. Let's face Judas, because I know that there's a storm coming. There's a trial we're in the midst of, but there's a triumph on the other side. There's purpose on the other side. And I've prayed until my convictions are set. And now I'm going to that cross and I'm going to meet Jesus there. So three times Jesus had to return to his heavenly father to be affirmed in the heavenly vision to save the world. He went where he did not want to go, preparing to pass through the storm to save the world. The question that I'll leave you with today is, what storm is God asking you to pass through?
or what storm have you in your life passed through that maybe derailed you? That derailed you? And what is his purpose on the other side? Because he never leaves you in the midst of your trial or in the midst of your suffering without purpose for that trial. Ask yourself that question. Go to God. He'll answer you. He'll speak to you. And then he'll give you the strength and conviction to walk on the other side of it. Amen? Amen? All right, worship team, come on up.